Welcome to the Emerald City Sportscast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Vienz. News, analysis, and opinions from Dan and his guests on the Mariners, Seahawks, Kraken, and more. And now, here's your host, Dan Vienz. Well, that sucked, didn't it? Seahawks losing Minnesota 30-17 after having a two-score lead early in the game. Uh, didn't preview the game this week. I had a guest lined up and we just couldn't, couldn't match up on time, so we'll revisit that next week. I think you're going to like who I have on and the discussion we're going to have, and that discussion has changed now. A lot of things have changed. The tone of this podcast may be changing as I give you my quick reactions to today's loss. Um, thanks for joining me on the Emerald City Sportscast. I am Dan Viennes. I'm sure many of you, like me, are probably having one of these. Um, try to forget all about this loss, but we can't forget about it. We have to talk about it. We have to dissect it. And, and what I meant by what I meant, what I said earlier, I meant. Uh, the tone of this podcast in regards to how I speak about the Seattle Seahawks is going to change. Um, and we could get into a much deeper discussion about change. I think my perception, my perspective, I'm sorry, on sports has changed. Right? We've gone through some shit over the last year and a half. My job was impacted by it. I had some some fear I had to deal with early in this pandemic and all the way through it. Aside from just the obvious stuff, worrying about getting sick, worrying about my parents who are immunocompromised, all of that, watching all the things that have unfolded over the last year and a half, watching people just be so angry and so horrible to each other. Uh, for the first time in my life, I catch myself thinking and saying things to myself like, that's ah, just sports. In particular, in how it relates to the Seattle Seahawks. Right? Lifetime fan from day one. Season ticket holder from day one. Got Seahawks ink all over me, <laughs> if you're watching the stream. Um, it's important to me, and, and I used to wear these losses throughout the week. I think I'm much more of a big picture person now. And the big picture with the Seattle Seahawks today is ugly. And it's, it's one that's going to be difficult for us as fans to truly admit to ourselves, to each other. Um, we may be at the precipice here of, of the end of an era, which could ultimately lead to the changing of the guard. Um, here's the thing. This is not a good football team. This is not a good football team. And... It's not a good football team in ways that I don't think are correctable, and that's the biggest fear. I don't think their weaknesses are correctable, not within the season. And you compound that with they play in the toughest division in football, right? Arizona's 3-0 now. Although I think they're a little bit of a paper tiger. Jacksonville had them on the ropes today, and they've, they've kind of shown weaknesses in each game, but they're 3-0, and there's huge advantages to that. Um, the 49ers play tonight. We'll see how they do. 
The Rams beat the defending Super Bowl champions. The Rams beat the most of what we thought, what many of us thought was the most loaded roster in football today. They're 3-0. Seahawks are 1-2 now. They are very likely going to be 1-4 and four in two weeks. Not even two weeks. In a week and a half. We talked about the beginning of this schedule and how rough it was. Two out of the first six at home. And the fact that they have to get ready for the 49ers this Sunday and then turn around and play the Rams four days later. It's just criminal. I don't know what the league was thinking. Surely they looked at the league, the schedule when it before the season and and pegged Seahawks Rams as a marquee game. It's on Thursday night. Well then why not have that coming off a 10 day break instead of a four day break? It's really criminal. Uh the Rams are clearly head and shoulders better than the Seahawks. And for me, again, perspective has changed. I wasn't angry today. I'm not angry right now. If you've listened to this podcast over the last couple of time, a couple of years, you've heard me angry when the Seahawks have lost games they should have won. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. <laughs> now I sound like a parent, right? I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. Because my optimism and my my eternal silver lining optimistic outlook that I apply to most things in my life. I liked the moves that this team made over the offseason. Talked about them extensively here on the show with guests as well. I thought they had a chance to get through this stretch in good shape. And, and I wasn't unrealistic. I didn't think in my expectations. What have, I, what have I said on the show? They had to find a way to go three and two. They're not going to do that now. They'd have to beat the Niners and the Rams, and they're simply not good enough. What I underestimated was how bad the cornerback play is. And I see a lot of reaction to this game today on Twitter. Our safeties aren't good enough. Our pass rush isn't good enough. They miss K.J. Wright. No, they don't. The corners can't cover. And so they have to play such a soft zone that the linebackers now have to drop and cover instead of being able to attack. So it neuters the best linebacker in football. In some ways, it neuters your first-round pick from a year ago. It was a really good run defender. But now teams have figured out that our coverage is so soft and our cornerbacks are so weak that if they, if they play at a quick enough tempo and they focus on the short passing game, get rid of the ball quick enough, wide receivers and tight ends, <laughs> we saw Conklin have a field day today as well. Um, you know, they're, they're going to, every wide receiver in the league is looking forward to playing the Seahawks now. We can't cover. We thought DJ Reed could cover, but now we move him to the left side where he's matching up with other teams' best receivers. It's not good enough. It's not big enough. He's not physical enough. Trey Flowers is who we thought he was. They can't cover. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating because it's supposed to be Pete Carroll's specialty. Defensive backs. Defense. We were spoiled a decade ago by some of the best defensive back play this league has seen in generations. 
we felt like they tried to address it. And we saw the moves they made on in the pass rush, and I felt for it. I thought, we're going to get so much pressure, it'll help that out, right? Well, teams are just getting rid of the ball too quick. Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. He's not consistently as good as what we saw today, but we're going to make quarterbacks look that good. And there's nothing they can do to fix this. Sidney Jones, the answer. Another Achilles heel of this defense, we've seen it time and time again, is apparently this technique we keep hearing about, and I'm not smart enough to understand it. The step kick. is so difficult that we can't sign free agents. <laughs> and, and guys can't contribute right away. Um, Sidney Jones last year, according to Pro Football Focus, had a better pass coverage grade than anyone on our roster, and he's still not seeing the field. So he's not the answer. They draft a corner, Trey Brown, but he's the same size as DJ Reed. Is he really going to be that much better? And he's hurt. Um, is Bless Austin the answer? He's a 4-6-40 guy, and he still hasn't seen the field. It's, it's not just an Achilles heel. It's an indictment on the management of this roster. And I don't want to be all doom and gloom. Okay, <laughs> I'm just trying to be realistic. They're not as good as the 49ers. They're not as good as the Rams, and now they face those teams twice in a four-day period a week from now. And they might not be as good as the Arizona Cardinals. Um, they probably aren't as we sit here today. And uh, we have some new injuries to deal with. Tyler Lockett got hurt. It looked like it was serious. He had a look on his face... There were people saying ACL. He came back in the game. Hopefully that's good news. DK tweets something on a on that last gasp effort by the Seahawks on a ball that he jumped way too soon. Had a shot at. Mistimed the jump. Could have given the Seahawks a chance uh, to at least get within a score. He tweaked something. He might be hurt. Um, you know, injuries are starting to mount. We were down to our third string right tackle today. The team insists on having Jamarco Jones as their primary backup tackle and a guy that can play guard too. He can never stay healthy. Brandon Shell can't stay healthy. Jake Curran got a lot of run today. We're, we're excited about what he can do based on what we saw in the preseason. I saw some cool things today, but injuries are starting to take their toll now. And then you're starting to see things like this. On the last drive, Russell took a sack, and it looked like it was because Dwayne Brown was beat on the inside by, I believe it was Everson Griffin, was it? Uh, Brown's first reaction was to turn around and scream at the other offensive lineman. Either he got the wrong call, somebody missed an assignment, or didn't get the call correctly. So now that stuff is starting to happen. The defense isn't good enough for this team to compete in this division. The offense did some cool things today. You know, after that uh, weird game last week where Waldron kind of put all the motion in the drawer and uh, didn't use the tight ends, didn't use the screen game. It was a weird plan last week, especially in the second half. It looked a lot better today. Chris Carson was running the ball effectively until he tweaked a hamstring, came back in the game. There was some speculation it might only be cramps. Hopefully it was. But Alex Collins ran the ball pretty well. I didn't. I don't know what the exact numbers 
were as, as far as how we ran the football, but it was effective enough. Russ made some plays, and uh, the tight ends were involved. Will Disley and Gerald Everett um, got DK involved early. Some cool things on offense. The offense is good enough to win games. The offense is probably good enough to win the division. But the defense is the fourth best defense in the division, and it's by a wide margin. And now it's a defense that's bad, but there's no avenue to fix it within the season, and that you've invested a ton of money in a, in a gadget safety, a middle linebacker who's aging, and now, as I said earlier, can't really play to his strength if he's got to drop and cover all the time. And now that the pass rush is a little banged up too. Benson Mayoa was out today with a stinger. Kerry Hyder left with a concussion. LJ Collier, a healthy scratch again. Teams are going to exploit that. And, and this feels very much like, and this is where my concern really comes in. This feels to me personally like the end of the Mike Holmgren era. Where the league had figured out the West Coast offense and how to defend his offense. At the same time, the talent had depreciated. They let Steve Hutchinson go. Walter Jones got older. They lost some guys to retirement. And the league caught up to him, and it happened quick. Remember that? It went from good to 4-12, and 12, right? And I'm not saying the Seahawks are going to go 4-12. and 12. With Russell Wilson, that's probably not possible. But this defense doesn't give him a chance. It doesn't give him a chance. And you can say, sign Richard Sherman. Okay, there were some promising things last week that Sherman himself said on a radio show that he believes the league isn't going to deal with his disciplinary case until the end of the year, so he should be eligible to play. The Seahawks are usually pretty good at getting communication with the league on things like that. And so if they get an indication that he won't be placed on the commissioner's list until there's a ruling. Maybe they'll sign him. What are you getting, though? You're not getting 2014-2015 Richard Sherman. You're not. You're getting an old, broken-down Richard Sherman who hasn't played football in a year. Is he going to make you that much better? He's probably a zone player himself at this point in his career. Maybe he does. Maybe he allows you to match up with some of the bigger receivers and get more physical with them on the left side. You can move DJ Reed back to the right side where he played so well last year. Trey Flowers moves back to the bench. He's not as much of a liability. Maybe that helps. Does it help enough, though? I'm trying to be realistic. And right now, I feel like this team will compete. They're going to compete for a playoff spot somehow, some way. But you think about the last couple of years. You think about last year, 12-4, and four, they won the division. How many of those games came down to one play? Missed field goal against the Rams. The stop on fourth and goal at the end of the game against the Patriots. The touchdown on fourth and goal, wasn't it? Against these Vikings at home. That's how they live. You just wonder if it's over. You wonder if it's over. 
And I don't want to get too much today into, well, then what? Because those are topics to be discussed on full-length episodes during the week with guests to help me break that down and get their insight and opinions as well. I just want, I just want to put that out there. I think expectations have suddenly changed for this team and this organization. Because when we do have that conversation... We're going to be talking about a 70-year-old head coach, a quarterback who wanted out last year, a team with no first-round draft pick. So that draft pick now that we we gave up, the New York Jets could potentially wind up with a top 10 draft pick from us in addition to their own likely top five draft pick where we would have none. Um, it's a little scary. It's really frustrating. It's, I, I don't even know if it's, I, maybe frustrating is not the right word. It's disheartening. I'm just bummed. I was really excited about this year. I thought there were some pieces in place. And for the first time since Pete Carroll was the head coach, has been the head coach, and Russell Wilson has been our quarterback, I'm having trouble talking myself into they'll be fine. They'll come back. They'll run off eight straight now and put everything together. Because it's not just that they're not playing well. I think there are some tangible weaknesses that make this team a difficult team to see winning in this division. And I think it could get really ugly over the next couple of weeks. Um, just imagine, just think, just allow yourself for a moment. Cause I know some of you out there that are listening, cause I see you on Twitter and I talk to you, believe in my boys, everything's going to be okay. Well, that's not how it works. <laughs> um, but imagine yourself for a moment to, to formulate a, a, a vision of what if they go five and 12? Wow. Are we talking about Pete Carroll retiring at that point or does he get even more motivated to turn it around? He takes more control. He gets more stubborn. It's another thing that we saw at the end of the Mike Holmgren era, right? I touched on that. I didn't really finish my thought there. Holmgren was so stubborn and believed so much in his offense even after the league figured it out, he wouldn't change it. And that stubbornness really cost him. Is the same thing going to happen with Pete Carroll? Um, I don't know at his age and with his experience if he could stomach another rebuild, but if that's what we're looking at, now are we back to discussing Russell Wilson wanting out again? And are, are we back to discussing whether he would be the, the best asset for the organization to move in order to put themselves in a position to rebuild? I'm just putting that out there. We'll talk about that more as the season goes along. Anyway, um, we did see some, like I said, saw some cool things today. Love what we saw out of some elements of Shane Waldron's offense. Um, Not all the screens worked, and they didn't work as well as the Vikings screen game. Um, But there are elements of it that are much better than his predecessors at offensive coordinator at putting together any kind of a screen game. Um, I really like some of the route combinations. 
what do we see under Brian Schottenheimer, Daryl Bevel? What were they kind of known for? And it really kind of got infamous in regards to how people saw those guys. Is it just very simple routes? Run a post, run a flag, run a slant, run a curl, run a hitch. Uh, we saw some stuff with DK, right? Running an out, an out and in, uh, some change of direction stuff. Really cool stuff there um, with the motion. And using and really still being committed to the jet sweep stuff, even without D. Eskridge, who was out again with the concussion today, but using Penny Hart, using Tyler Lockett, using Freddie Swain, who's really, he's one of the highlights of today too. Made some nice catches. He's more athletic than I thought he was. He's really making a statement for himself as a legitimate third option on this team. But the commitment to the, the jet sweep game and how effective it is at actually getting yards and not just being a look is kind of cool. So there are some things to work with on offense, for sure. We've seen teams win with good offenses and mediocre to bad defenses before, right? We've seen Seahawks teams do it in the past. But <laughs> they get turnovers. Even bad defenses get turnovers. We saw Jacksonville today force some turnovers. We just don't. We don't make plays on the ball. We don't bat balls in the air. We don't intercept balls. Um, we just give up long drives, whether they result in, in field goals or touchdowns. We give up long drives, and it, it minimizes the impact of a good offense. Um, it's a team that's very much not in sync. So... Um, are there ways that they can try to change the scheme, simplify some things, or or, or get more complex and, and disguise things more and, and be a little bit more effective on defense? Sure. But in this league, teams are going to figure out a way to scheme so you get one-on-one -on -one matchups with our corners, and they're going to win those matchups every time because of our schedule. Um. We just don't get a break until we play Jacksonville. And what's that, week eight? We all laughed at the ESPN computer simulation having the Seahawks go 0-9 to start the season, I think. But I'm here to tell you they're going to go 1-4, most likely. And then after that, I'm not looking at the schedule, but then it's Pittsburgh, right? Kind of up and down. They didn't look great today. That could be a winnable game. And then it's Jacksonville. But New Orleans looks pretty good. And then you kind of get back into the division again. And, and I don't know. As I sit here today, my expectations for the season have completely changed. This team's going to be battling from behind the entire season. And we're going to be staring at a two-game deficit in the division. Well, we already are. But by the end of tonight, um, San Francisco plays Green Bay. They could lose uh, to fall to 2-1. and one. We could very well be looking at a two-game deficit to all three teams. And then we play the 49ers and Rams. Um, so if you go one and four, now you're now you're four games out after five weeks. It's a real bummer. Let's talk about something that's not a bummer, just real briefly. Uh, the Mariners win today four to one, even though Shohei Otani was dominant through seven innings, struck out ten. Uh, they came back to win that game. A great start by Marco Gonzalez. Um, Jared Kelnick had another had another uh, positive contribution. Mariners just finished up a road trip in which they were playing good teams in meaningful games and they went eight and two on the road trip, 
right? It was a 10 game road. They went eight and two on a road trip with the playoffs on the line. They got to as close as two games at one point. Now they're three back um, with only six to play. It, it's highly unlikely that, that they're going to make it, but they, they have six games to play now. They come home to play the A's and the Angels, and they're still mathematically in a playoff race, and they just went eight and two on a road trip. So, so many positives, and we're going to talk so much about the Mariners over the next couple of months, and I'm so excited to see what they do in the offseason. Um, I'll just say it again. It's it's remarkable, and you have to give credit to Scott Service and to Jerry DePoto and what they've built there. Um, the analogy might be this, and I'll finish with this thought. The analogy would be Mariners have a flawed roster. They have one of the worst offenses in the entire, in all of Major League Baseball. Bottom five offense. Not by my perception or my opinion, but I believe tangibly, statistically. And the pitching's been solid, and we all think it's been really good, but the starting pitching, when you look at the stats, hasn't it's middle of the pack. And the bullpen's been lights out. It's 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 how the team comes together, it's how the team battles. And I know that's not something that you can really measure, and some people poo-poo it, some of the the baseball geeks. But it's it's that it's the chemistry. And it's uh, it's just how this team fights, right? Despite massive holes on their roster. The Seahawks have the aforementioned massive tangible holes on their roster, um, but they're not they're not overcoming it with those other qualities, with guys making a play here and there. How much would this game have changed in, was it the second quarter when, or early third quarter, when we had stopped, got a big sack on Kirk Cousins on a third and long. We would have gotten the ball back. It was the biggest stop we had all, all game. And Ugo Amadi is caught for an obvious blatant hold on a receiver that's on the other side of the field from where the play was going. It's stupid stuff like that that keeps the, the Seahawks from being able to, able to overcome their weaknesses, whereas the Mariners in that in that moment would have come through. I don't know if that's a great analogy, but it's what I, it's what's what I got for you right now. So, anyway, that's that's what's going on. It's on the road again at the Niners. Uh, Niners play the Packers here in just a minute on Sunday Night Football. That'll obviously be a fascinating game to watch. Um, look, give me all the crap you want. If you follow me on Twitter, hit me up. If you don't, it's at Seahawks Forever. Um, DM me if you want to, um, try to convince me that I'm wrong, <laughs> try to convince me that I'm wrong and that this team is miraculously going to come back. And it was just a bad day at the office today and last week and that everything's going to be fine. Try to convince me. I would love to hear some of your comments on that. I will use them on the show in a few days. If we get that, um, in the meantime, look, Try to stay positive. Enjoy some other football. I didn't even touch on Cougar football. I'll talk about that later in the week. Focus on the Mariners for the next six days. Season's almost over. Six days. I'm going to be at the ballpark tomorrow. I'm just, I bought myself a ticket. I'm going to go, it's a bleacher seat, but I'm going to probably be in the pen or above the bullpen. Hit me up. Let's forget all about football tomorrow night and focus on baseball and appreciate what the Mariners have done because even though they're likely not going to make the playoffs now, They have a legitimate shot to win 90 games in a season where they were projected to win eh, 75-ish. Let's think about that and focus on that. Come see me at the ballpark tomorrow. 
Uh, shoot me a message if you, if you can. Um, I'm Dan Vians. This is the Emerald City Sportscast. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And uh, I'll talk to you in a few days.